This is Jay Baer, author of Hug Your Haters, How to Embrace Complaints and Keep Your Customers. And you, my friend, yes, you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on The Marketing Book Podcast. Named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. And don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by the one and only Jay Bear, and we're going to talk about his new book, Hug Your Haters, How to Embrace Complaints and Keep Your Customers. Jay Bear is the president of Convince and Convert, an online customer service and digital marketing consultancy and media company that advises some of the most iconic organizations in the world, including the United Nations, Oracle, and Allstate. Jay is the New York Times bestselling author of five books, including Utility, Why Smart Marketing is About Help, Not Hype, for which he was previously interviewed on the Marketing Book Podcast. The most retweeted person in the world among digital marketers, Jay writes for Inc., Entrepreneur, and Forbes magazines online, and he owns the world's number one content marketing blog and produces multiple award-winning podcasts. His longest-running show, Social Pros, was named Best Marketing Podcast in the 2015 Content Marketing Awards. He's an avid tequila collector, an expert on smoked meat, is the father of two, and his mother was a high school English teacher. Jay, congratulations on Hug Your Haters, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. My friend, thanks so much for having me back. I really appreciate your time, and I love this show. Uh, I think the reason I like tequila so much is that because my mom was a high school English teacher. I actually, it was a pretty, pretty small uh, school. I, I had my mother as my teacher like three or four different times, which is a very exciting set of circumstances. Well, as it relates to your mom, I think there's some uh, genetic benefit you got there. I can only assume because she was an English teacher. So there's there's two things that just hit me over the head when I, I've seen you speak and I've, I've read your books. And one is the ability to write well and the well ability to write in an entertaining way so that you're actually sneaking quite a lot of knowledge in while you're entertaining people. And I can remember some of my best teachers <laughs> were the ones that almost tricked us into learning by, <laughs> by being very entertaining. And, well, and the, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Uh, so, you know, thank your mom. And, and also just the ability to, to teach that, that comes through in your, in your talks and, and, and in your book. Um, and, and I guess more than just to teach, the, to explain what are, for a lot of your readers and, and people that see you, as well as your podcast listeners, are fairly complex, very different aspects of marketing that are, it takes a while for them to get their, their heads around. And I just, a, a personal anecdote that affirms this, I have a client who saw you speak at a keynote, and I, I wasn't there, it was an, an industry event, and uh, he told me all about it. He came and, and he got to shake your hand. And afterwards, he said, man, I really learned a lot. And that's a quote, Jay. And the, then afterwards, after he was back, he said, uh, man, it, it was really good. You know, Douglas, all that stuff you've been trying to tell me for a couple of years, it, when I heard Jay Bear say it, it, it all came together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you setting the table for me. That's, uh, that's very nice of you well, to do. Yeah, you know, look, I, I I feel like I'm not here to to come up with ideas. I'm here to translate trends into advice that that 
larger numbers of people can follow. I really do feel like I'm sort of in the translation business from from trends and 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 you know behavior and and business shifts and sort of identify those patterns and explain them in a way that that more and more people can understand what they need to do next. Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm a futurist or or some sort of brilliant um, strategist or idea guy who's just you know pulling things out of the ether and future casting and you know crystal ball kind of stuff. That's not my deal. Uh, my deal is to is to spot things early and explain them in a way that that more people can uh, can grasp them. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very true. Very true. And I should also add just one bit of marketing book podcast trivia. Jay Bear is the Ooh, only trivia. guest on the show who has ever ridden in my car. And That's true. I remember that. And you you've you have quite a little collection. That's a thing for you. You are you are a car aficionado. You're like uh, you're like the Jerry Seinfeld show. You should be doing the show in a car. Why can't we do the show in a car? Uh, we I, do not, we, you could be periscoping the show right now <laughs> in a car, right. talking about marketing books, getting tequila. We could be have a Marketing books in a car, getting tequila show live on Periscope. Let's do that. Yeah, and then we could even, you know, we could ask President Obama if we could just ride in his car. Uh, he could be there, and and we could still talk. You know, I think that's possible. Yeah, probably, probably when it's not president would be the easiest way to make that. <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe yes. so. Um, but uh, you know, one day when it goes for sale on eBay, that car it, it's going to be Jay Bear rode in this car, and then somebody will probably buy it, and then that'll be know, the headline. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, then it'll cost you five hundred dollars off the price. <laughs> Yeah, then I'll have to have a certificate that it was, in fact, you know, thoroughly uh, detailed. I, I will sign your authenticity certificate. <laughs> okay, you thank, you. Like, thank you. Know, thank I you. I watch enough Pawn Stars to know how important provenance is in an item. Yes, yes. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for for working with me. Thanks for being there. So let me start out with an opening quote, and then we're going to jump into the book here. What you'll discover in this book is that the rise of the haters is an enormous opportunity for business and companies of every type and every size. I've seen this firsthand as an advisor to some of the world's largest companies and an investor in many small startups. Business is more competitive than it's ever been at every turn and in every way, and differentiation is tough, as competitors can and will eventually mimic your products and ape your pricing. But customer experience and customer service remains a fertile opportunity for standing above the mass of competitors. I wrote this book to help all business owners and managers understand how to turn customer service into marketing and use it as your true advantage. Now, Jay, a lot of times when marketers or any kind of business folks are using research, they use it like a drunk does a street lamp. They use it for support rather than illumination. I think I first heard David Ogilvie say that. It's a good one. You started out commissioning Edison Research with the help of Tom Webster to do some research to either confirm or deny some suspicions or hunches you had, and it went in a very different direction. Can you tell us that story? Well, first of all, I, I, I sort of felt like it's a challenge writing a book about customer service. Because, as was explained in the book, everybody thinks they're already good at it. And so to say, hey, here's a book about customer service, you're like, why would I want to buy that? And so I felt like this has to be something other than Jay says you should do this, trust Jay. <laughs> and most and, and most business books, including most that I've written, and, and certainly most customer service books, are essentially that. It's, I believe this to be true based on my wisdom and experience, and now you need to, need to take it as gospel, and here's why. And And it's filled with anecdote and advice and counsel, and that doesn't make it you know, illogical or or not to be respected. But I felt like in this particular topic where you're saying, look, you think you're good at customer service, but you're probably not as good as you think you are. I felt like it really needed to be grounded in research. And my original thesis, my original premise 
for this entire project going back probably a year and a half uh, was that speed is the ultimate differentiator now. That, that companies that are faster have a distinct competitive advantage and that and that customers really crave speed. That speed is the most important thing that you can do in a customer service, customer experience context. But I wanted to make sure that was true. Um, it's easy to say, hey, be faster. Uh, but I really wanted to make sure that that held up. And so I did work with uh, the guys at Edison Research to, to put together a study to test that thesis and to kind of probe and explore the dimensions of speed, et cetera. And what we found was that that wasn't true at all. <laughs> that that speed is important, of course, uh, and I talk about that in the book, but it is by no means uh, the most important dimension of modern customer service and customer experience. It turns out the most important dimension is just showing up. Is that is that to say that you have to answer quickly is is probably one step beyond what is true today, which is just answer. One third of all customer complaints are ignored forever, and most of those complaints that are ignored are online, where everybody can see the fact that they are being ignored and that businesses are not answering. And so I, I set out to write one book. The data told me something entirely differently, so I wrote a different book uh, based on that data, and that's why the book is Hug Your Haters, Not Be Faster. <laughs> right. Great. Well, and to your credit, you let the research guide you. So what is the the business argument for embracing complaints? Uh, it, you know, people don't like complainers. But but there's there's gold in them. There are hills. What what is <laughs> what is the benefit? There's two benefits. One is is strictly financial, and we discovered in the research that answering a customer complaint increases customer advocacy every time and in every channel. It takes a bad situation, makes it better. Not answering a customer complaint, which happens all too frequently, decreases customer advocacy every time and in every channel. It takes a bad situation and it makes it worse. So if you answer your customers. They will be more loyal to you. They're more likely to continue to be customers, more likely to advocate on your behalf. And that has a significant bottom line impact. In fact, in the small business uh, banking sector, there's a study specifically on this point, And they found that advocates, customers who are advocates, are worth $9,500 a year more than customers who are not. So if you can trigger an advocacy effect solely by answering a complaint or solving a problem, uh, that is certainly worth doing. And, 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 there's lots of research to show, not from me, but but in the past, that shows that even a 5%, 5% increase in customer retention can increase profits by 25 to 85% because you get a geometric multiplier effect, your marketing works harder, et cetera, et cetera. So that's sort of the financial side. The second benefit of doing this is, is the operational informational side where the most overrated thing in business, maybe the most overrated thing in life, is praise. Every time somebody says, oh, you're so great, I love your podcast, you're amazing, you've got a cool car, you feel great about that, of course, but it doesn't teach you very much because in almost every case, you already know what you're good at. What teaches us lessons that we need to learn, what helps us become better people, better organizations, better businesses, is negative feedback, is criticism. Criticism is the petri dish of improvement. And so what smart companies do is say, I want as many complaints as possible because every single complaint allows us to find something that we can fix. Mm -hmm. In the book, you say haters are the canary in the coal mine. And I think it was 95% of your customers just don't complain can you explain who the real dangerous customers are? Yeah, it's really, it's a remarkable data set that says that only 5%, 5% of your unhappy customers, not all customers, 5% of the unhappy customers okay. mm -hmm. 
complain complain in a way that you'll ever find it. So they may they may gripe uh, privately to a friend, but only 5% of unhappy customers ever complain in a form or a fashion that the business can discover. So that might be phone, it might be email, it might be social media, postal letter, what have you. So you got to realize that people in many cases look at a customer complaint and dismiss it as an edge case and say, well, that's a really unusual circumstance. That never happens. This person had a really unlikely uh, scenario. Well, mathematically, on average, every time somebody complains, 19 other people had the exact same problem, but chose not to complain in a way that you can find it because they didn't want to spend their time, their their anti-conflict or whatever their circumstances may be. So the much more dangerous group of customers is not the haters who complain in public or complain in private or actually you know complain in any format. The most dangerous group are the people who are dissatisfied and never say anything. They just disappear. I call them the meh in the middle in the book. <laughs> they just they just leave. And and if you've ever run a business, especially a small business, you've seen evidence of it. You, you, you know, if you've ever said something like this, hey, whatever happened to Larry? He used to come in all the time. That's the meh middle. Mm-hmm. Larry is one of those people who is probably disaffected and never told you about it. Just stop showing up. And, and that's a really dangerous group. Look, anybody who, anybody who is taking their time to complain, their time to complain to you, has enough passion to be worth hugging. They care enough about you and your business to say something about it, and that should not be dismissed as easily as it is typically dismissed. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, a any kind of relationship where if there's anger or or passion, that's either one is <laughs> either one is good. It's the indifference that seems to 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 break up so many relationships. Yeah, apathy is much more dangerous than anger. Yeah. So, in the world of haters. There are two broad categories. Can you explain those? So what we discovered in the research is that hate is not homogenous. And what's fascinating is that is that the expectations and sort of the behaviors related to complaint are, are channel-specific, not necessarily gender, age, or anything else. So there's two types of, of haters. The first type I call in the book off-stage haters. And I call them off-stage haters because they complain in private mostly through the legacy channels that we might suspect when we think about customer service. So it's typically the telephone or email. Mm-hmm. Now, that group, the offstage haters, is slightly older, slightly less technology savvy uh, than the other group. But, but those demographic differences aren't considerable. They do show up, but it's not a major point. So the offstage haters complain in private. The other group are the onstage haters, which are very quickly growing. And the onstage haters complain in public. So those are the people who complain Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Yelp, TripAdvisor, any sort of ratings and review sites or discussion boards and forums. They are taking you to task in full view of everybody else. That group is slightly younger, slightly more tech and social media savvy, as you would suspect, and perhaps also not a surprise, they tend to complain more often. There's an interesting correlation in the research. We can't prove that it is a causation, but it's definitely a correlation that the more you use Facebook and Twitter, the more you complain. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy to do so, right? You're like, well, I don't have to like call and wait on hold or even craft a uh, an email that has any sort of narrative structure. I can just in you know with one hand, uh, you, know, ah, you know, express my displeasure. And so you're seeing a big, big rise. And the many interviews I did for the book demonstrate this big rise in in on stage complaints that that people are are complaining more and more and more in public and more and more and more in general as that shift happens. And it's created a lot of challenges for business. Customer service, and the reason I wrote this book really is that customer service is being disrupted 
in the exact same ways that marketing has been disrupted. It's the exact same story, right? It's it's just that like all the things that are happening to customer service happened to marketing three years ago, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's just like a rolling wave of disruption based on on demographics, on technology, on mobile, on consumer expectation changes, etc. So the people who complain off stage, the the phone email crew, they expect an answer. And I'm sure that's true for you, for everybody listening. If you call a business, you expect them to get back to you eventually. If you email, same thing. It's the social contract, right? I mean, it's how business has evolved over the last 15, 20 years. Businesses typically do a pretty good job of phone and email. I mean, they've had a lot of chances to get it right. However, the onstage people who are complaining in public, social and beyond, they don't always want an answer. My research finds that 47%, 47% of the people who complain in public want or expect an answer from business because they've been trained to not expect one. Categorically, many, many, many businesses as a strategy, not an accident, as an actual strategic plan, refuse to engage in negative feedback in any online channel. So in many cases, people don't expect a business to get back to them because they have never experienced that. And in many cases, when people complain online, especially in social, they don't necessarily structure that complaint as a cry for help what they're really looking for is an audience. They they want the group empathy wave, the sort of like the all their friends on Facebook, for example, saying, oh, that totally sucks. I'm so sorry that happened to you. You're like, you get that thing, you know? I thought you weren't going to um, imitate me on this interview. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where the dislike button uh, that Facebook has, has rumored for so long <laughs> that's right. would be a really interesting, you know, kind of proof point of, of that concept of the looking for an audience and empathy, not necessarily an answer. So what we discovered in the research is that if you do answer, if you do answer these onstage haters, you have an unbelievable opportunity to trigger a significant advocacy bump of up to 25% because people don't see it coming, right? You can blow their minds and steal their hearts because they're so accustomed to being ignored in these public channels that for the businesses that do pay attention and do hug their haters, they have a real competitive edge. Yeah, and a, a military term that's got its way, in, it, that's worked its way into the the business vernacular is uh, they become uh, it's like a full force multiplier, where suddenly you've not only made them happy, but then because they've got that audience, they're going to evangelize for you even more and talk about how happy they were, which is enormously trusted by their their peers. One interesting thing though is that you said that the biggest reason to hug your on stage haters, the public complainers, is that in many cases, you've already disappointed them twice. Can you explain that? Well, I'm sure this has happened to you in in your own life. It's most definitely happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to everybody listening, either personally or they know a story like this. When when companies work with my firm, Convince to Convert, to, to put into practice better uh, customer service and customer experience protocols. In many cases, of course, given sort of what I do and the kind of business we run, they said, well, can you help us be better at social media customer service? And I say, sure, we could do that. Uh, how how are you right now at phone and email customer service? And in many cases, it's, well, they're not as good as they think they are. And, and so it's like, hey, you have no business like playing with fire, you know, until you actually know how to use matches. And And so what happens all the time is somebody calls and you get the voice message that says, okay, we're, we're delighted that you called. Uh, calls will be answered in the order uh, in which they were received. Uh, you were 72nd in line and expected wait time is like 36 minutes. And you're like, well, that's not going to happen. Or you email 
and you figure they're going to get back to you and you wait and wait and wait and wait and you don't get an email reply. So now you are double upset. You're upset by whatever it was that you had to call or email about in the first place. And now you're upset because it took too long or it was too inconvenient, what have you, to get through through a legacy channel. So now you want to punish. Now you're like, you know what? I'm taking this public. I'm <laughs> the raising fuse the has stakes. been lit. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm raising the stakes. I want this to be public now because I want some – I want to blame you or – you get the other effect, which is related, which is, hey, I'm going to try and use Twitter, for example, as kind of the Hail Mary pass, yes. as the as the you know channel of last resort. And what is, what is a dangerous game to play, and I see it all the time, and we always talk to companies about this. If your first response, if you, if you see a customer who complains in public, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, and your first line of response as a business is, we're terribly sorry that happened. Please call or email us at... You are seriously playing with fire in a way that is dangerous and combustible because what happens constantly is somebody fires back, I just got off the phone with you, (laughs) and now you're telling me to call back to the number I just called, and it drives people crazy, but it's a symptom of a much bigger operational problem that I get into in the book a little bit, mm-hmm. which is data unification. I mean, most companies uh, who, who do answer complaints both offstage and on you know, have one system to govern their legacy customer service and a different system handling social media, and perhaps in many cases, different people too. And so it's no surprise that they have no idea that you'd called, they have no idea that you'd emailed, and the whole thing makes companies look ridiculous and foolish and, and unprepared for modern life. One of, this, one of the trigger points for this, though, is that the average, this is crazy to me, the average amount of time it takes a business to respond to an email is 44 hours. That's just, that's, that's over the weekend, time. right? Yeah, that's a, that's a long time. That's all the time. That's a long time in the modern age, right? And so yeah. you email them and, you, and now you assume they're not going to get back to you. So now you freak out on Facebook and then you get the email afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, I I could I can think you know I I live uh, where the you know there's gas natural gas and this I guess is something of a monopoly and I I was having an issue and I couldn't get any response from the gas company and I finally had to go through the regulators at the state just to get somebody to call me <laughs> and it, it's a similar sort of thing like I wasn't trying to cause trouble I just needed some help as it related to my my uh, my my gas. Uh, set up at my house. I, I think customer service, even though we have all this technology now, customer service is getting worse, not better. In fact, I just read a, a, an article this morning, uh, right before we got on the air, a new University of Michigan study says that customer service has gone down in terms of its overall quality um, since the economic recovery and that we had a, a, an uptick in good customer service during the recession uh, because people were really concerned about customer retention. And now that things are better, quote unquote better, customer service and investments in service have slid back and you see these corresponding rise in bad service, in complaints, et cetera. Uh, it's really interesting and, and I completely agree. Jay, you live in Indiana, so occasionally you must have to drive in icy conditions. And one of the one of the things that happens is when your car starts to uh, skid out on ice, you should actually steer into the direction your car is going in order to regain control. It's the most counterintuitive thing, but once you've done it, you, you start to get better at, 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 at driving on ice. I thought the same thing about one of the stories in your book, the retail cafes, where they actually wanted more complaints can you yeah. explain that that and, and how it works so well? It's fascinating. I, I really love this example because I think it it demonstrates this this concept 
of treating people who complain as your most important customers instead of how they are typically treated, which is as your least important customers. In many cases, if somebody complains, what the business says, either overtly or essentially based on their actions is, well, you know what? If that's how you feel, we don't want your money. You must be a quote unquote bad customer. I hear that all the time. It's so crazy. So La Pan Quotidienne, which is a, a chain of uh, bakeries and cafes, they're based in Belgium. There's about 220 locations. They have many locations in the U.S., primarily uh, Southern California and the Northeast. When their director of customer experience started there like two years ago, Erin Pepper is her name. I just talked to her yesterday. And when she started, she said, my goal as a director of customer experience is to triple the number of complaints that we get. Triple the complaints. Triple the complaints. Okay, she's steering into the skid. (laughs) Steering into the skid, right? It is very counterintuitive. But if you believe that every complaint is a lesson, that every complaint is an opportunity, if you what 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 she wants to do is take that five percent of unhappy customers who actually tell you they're unhappy, she wants that to go to fifteen percent. Because if you can do that, if you can find the problem, it it obviously is is you know educational for the business. But you also then have a chance to hug that hater and bring them back into the fold. If they're just the meh middle and they disappear, not only do you not learn anything, but you have no opportunity to actually make it right with them. So what she's done is put into practice a lot of different initiatives in the business that nudge customers to say something if their experience is anything less than perfect. So there's table tents. The the staff in each of the restaurants are trained to say to each guest multiple times, I just want you to know, if anything about your experience today is less than perfect, please let us know here, 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 or here, right? There's all these different ways. On the receipts, they talk about it. On the table, uh, table tents, of course, but also on the, on the placemats and all these other different ways where they're always nudging, 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 nudging for additional feedback and criticism. And I think it's really smart. And can you talk about how she enlisted her, uh, what you might call the one-star people? Yeah, so, so she has this other program, but and everybody should steal this idea. I'm, I'm, I've already stolen it for a number of different circumstances. So when, when they get uh, one-star reviews, and in their business, being a restaurant, it's typically uh, Yelp or TripAdvisor or Urban Spoon or, or one of those type of places. So when she gets a one-star review, which is, which is relatively infrequent because they are a good business, but it happens, she answers them back in public, as you should do, as we talk about in the book. Customer service is a spectator sport now, and no response is a response. No response is a response that says, we don't care enough about you to spend even one second on this. So you should always respond in public, as she does. But... What she does next is the part that's really noteworthy. So she usually waits a couple hours after responding. And then she sends them another message, this time in private, using one of the private messaging functions that's available on all those different sites. And she says, you know, I've been thinking, and you are a particularly perceptive customer. You see things that other people don't see. You have a gift for this. So what I'd like to do, with your permission, of course, I'd like to send you two gift cards per month. And with each of those gift cards, I'd like you to visit a different Le Pan Quotidian location in your area. And upon the conclusion of your breakfast, brunch, or lunch, I would love it if you could click this link and fill out this very detailed survey of your experiences because you're the type of person who can help us find the little things, the unusual things, the unexpected things that are the difference between being 98% great and 100% great. Will you do that for me? And it totally works. She has 150, 200 of these secret shoppers working for her now on a regular basis, filling out incredibly detailed surveys of their experiences. Total cost of this program, 
gift cards, a few <laughs> gift cards. You know what it would cost you to actually do a full-scale secret shopper program like that yeah, for a business? It'd be a lot if you actually hired you hired a consultancy to do it, it'd be thousands and thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands of dollars a month. And she's doing it for gift cards. Brilliant. It really is. It really is. Jay, what is Jay Bear's rule of reply twice? You know, of all the recommendations in the book, especially in the in the in the back half where we sort of get into the step-by-step protocols and mm-hmm. things like that. The one that resonates the best with people is is this one because everybody has been down this road and wasn't and isn't sure what to do. It's Jaber's rule of reply only twice says that you should never ever 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 reply to a person more than twice in public, online, ever. Good, good or bad. So if somebody says, "Hey, I love you," you should answer back, "Thanks, I love you too," and they come back a second time, "No, I really love you." You answer back, "Oh, I really love you too. Thanks so much." If they come back a third time because they're some kind of crazy super fan. We really, really, really love you. You just walk away, right? Because at that point, you're just wasting time. You've already high-fived it twice. You don't need to do it a third time. Mm -hmm. The more likely scenario, of course, unfortunately, is in a negative context. Somebody sends you a message um, in public, Facebook, let's say. Let's just say Facebook, easier to understand. So they say on Facebook, you're the worst. Uh, I hate your podcast. Mm -hmm. You answer back, hey, I'm terribly sorry. Um, But enough about my older brothers, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to know. I'd love to know what part of the show you don't enjoy. Can we talk about that? They answer. A, they come back a second time. I don't want to talk about it. I, your show's terrible. I don't want to. You know, you're just the worst. Mm-hmm. You come back a second time. Well, geez, you know, I'd really love to to get some additional uh, feedback from you to to help correct some of these issues. Could we maybe have a, a a quick chat on the phone? Or here's my personal email address. They come back a third time. I don't want to call you. I don't want to email. You're just the worst. At that point, the tendency is, and what almost always happens, is because you're like, look, I am now committed to this. I'm pot committed, to use a poker metaphor. I am now pot committed. Now I have to take this all the way through this logical conclusion. I have to wrestle this person to the mat. I have to show them how much I care. I have to prove that I'm right. And and so you get into this negative vortex of back and forth. And you're not going to. You're not going to succeed at that point. No, at that point, at that point you're, not going to, you're not going to win. Right. But the human nature is to keep trying. Mm-hmm. So what you've got to do on that third reply, you just walk away because you're not going to win. And you have done what you need to do, which is you have attempted to hug that hater. And that's great. You can't save everybody. But more importantly, in these public venues, social media, review sites, forums, the spectators are where the real money is. Yeah, you want to make that person happy, but recognize that there are tens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of other people who are going to see that either now or over time. And you have gone on record. You have shown what your values are. You have shown what kind of business you are. You have shown that you care. You've shown that you'll hug your haters. You don't need to wrestle it to the ground. Just go on record, do the right thing, hug your haters, and then walk away. Reply only twice. Yeah, this notion, one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And this notion where you talk about the, it's, it's a, a spectator sport, I, this rule of two where you've, you've done your thing, and then you walk away. It kept reminding me of that scene where the gladiator vanquishes his foe and turns to the audience and says, "Are you entertained?" Right. It's so true. And 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 you know you can the, the metaphorical you know emoji of getting some popcorn uh, watching watching some of these customer service back and forth play out is all too real. And and I cannot think of a single circumstance where. Uh, businesses win uh, in, in that scenario. Now, there are certainly times where a customer takes a business to task. You see this on Yelp on occasion uh, and, and similar places, and, and the business calls the customer on it and says, look, you were wrong, and you're lying, and you're a fool, and et cetera. And that makes the business feel good, and it makes them feel right, and people laugh at the customer. I don't believe that that 
creates any long-term positive impact on the business. In fact, yeah. perhaps the opposite. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I, it's very unlikable. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, Jay, I noticed at the end of the book, you, you did this great summary of each chapter, just like you did on a utility. And thank you for that. And it's full of bullet points that people could almost pull out of there and put them on a slide when they're presenting to management about why this is so important. There's lots of numbers there. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of research in the book, as I said, which was which was clearly on purpose. And I also recognize that, you know, not everybody's going to read a whole book. I've worked really hard to make this book easy to read and fun and entertaining and interesting, and and I, I think it meets that standard. Uh, it's also based on a presentation. As you know, that's how I write books. I, I, I create a speech first, and then I write a book around the speech, which I think gives the things that I write a little bit more of a narrative arc compared to some other business books. But look, you know, it's it's the modern age, right? People don't read anymore, right? What you know, what they would prefer is that I give them a series of Instagram photos that describe the concept and we'll be done with it. <laughs> I you know, I understand, right? And customer service is no different. That's why I have a whole chapter about the next phase, which is, you know, WhatsApp and WeChat and Facebook Messenger and all these other things. And and so there's a lot of research. People don't want to read a whole book. I get that. So in the back, I have an, a whole summary where, where every chapter I, I, I list the, the key points and the key data uh, points. So A, if you don't want to read the whole book, you still have the key information. And, and B, hopefully you do read the book, but then you want to refer back to it. Instead of having to go back into the text to find the key points, you can just go to the back and kind of get the, the summary data and, and kind of refresh your memory. Also, this book is a little different in that regard because we actually have a poster in in every book, which is really, really cool, called mm-hmm. The Hatrix, which is the all the key data is on a poster, and every book has a poster in it, and you can take the poster out and put it on your wall, put it on your desk, et cetera. The Hatrix. The Hatrix. A great name. And you're also building a, a community. Yeah, we have a Facebook group uh, for people who have bought the book in advance from me. There's 260 people in there already. Uh, we'll open it up wider here uh, after the book launches. And it has become in like, seriously, it, it's, it has exceeded my wildest expectations. In the first day, I think it probably became the definitive Facebook group on these kind of customer service issues. It's very active. A ton of leaders in that space uh, are already in the group. I'm, I'm thrilled with, uh, with how that's going. Yeah, you've touched a nerve. And also, don't you have some training, that, some online training on coming it. up? Working Let's- on it. Yeah. You know, I've never done a course. You know, obviously, the course thing is huge right now. So many of my friends and contemporaries um, have created courses to teach um, whatever that is they teach, including teaching, you know, in a meta way, how to do courses. I never have done it. I've never, ever uh, sold a course, created a course, but I'm doing one for this. It's called Keep Your Customers, and it's all about how to really put these principles into practice, takes the themes in the book and and, and goes deeper on them and, and really makes you consider how to put the Hug Your Haters formula into place in your own organization, large or small. Uh, the curriculum is finished. It is it is structured. I have to shoot the videos. There's like 50 videos or something in this course. It's quite a, it's quite a comprehensive course. Um, so the videos are are somewhat outlined. I have to actually uh, shoot them. I'm on the road a lot in the next month, so I think I'm I'm scheduled to do the videos in late March, and then we'll do some production. I'm hoping to have the course up and ready on the HugYourHaters.com site maybe late April. Well, hurry up, will you, Jay? Well, I wanted to have it done for the launch of the book, right? That would have been much easier because, hey, if you like the book, now give me a bunch more money to get the course. I mean, okay. that's, the, that's a much smarter way to do it. But I just, you know, having never done it before, it took longer than I, sure. than I thought and, and have so many things going with just doing the book right and the book launch that I just could not, I could not make those trains arrive at the station at the same time. Right. 
Jay, if, if readers took only one thing away from the book, which I know is not a fair thing to ask, what would you hope it would be? Well, as you know, one of my favorite data points in the book uh, is not from me, it's from Forrester. And Forrester says that 80% of businesses say that they deliver exceptional customer service. Mm. 8% of their customers agree. That, that's, that's a problem. That's got to be a typo, Jay. You would think, right? And so, and I think the reason that's true, I've been I've been pondering this a lot, and I think the reason that's true is that companies think about customer service gauged against their competitive set. So what companies say all the time is, well, we're really good at customer service compared to the other guys who do whatever we do. And that may very well be true, but that doesn't mean you're good at customer service compared to the best companies in the world. They're the ones setting the bar that your customers want you to clear. So when a business is asked, do you provide superior customer service? They say, yes, we're superior compared to Larry, who's the other plumber in town. And the customer says, well, yeah, but they're terrible compared to Nordstrom's. And that's what they think the barrier is, right? That's what they think superior customer service means. And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether or not any other company in your category is hugging their haters and doing this kind of work because the best companies in the world are training your customers what to expect. Yes. And so you've got to get on top of that quickly. So this disruption is real. This disruption is hard. This disruption requires uh, resources. It requires retraining. But I think the summary that I would give you is that haters are not your problem. Ignoring them is. Mm-hmm. They're a gift. They are. It's the best possible thing that can happen. And I know that's paradoxical, but that's why I wrote a book about it. Yeah. Well, what books have inspired your work and career? Well, in this particular in this particular area, I did lots of research, of course, and and I can just give you a few names of people who are really uh, amazing on this topic. Uh, my good friend Shep Hyken is probably the best known customer service expert in the country, and and for good reason. He's a fantastic man and a brilliant man. John DeJulius is a terrific uh, author and speaker on these topics. Steve Curtin is is spectacular. You probably know and may have had on the show uh, Peter Shankman. You'd had uh, him on not the show yet. Before? I'd like to. He'd be a great guest. Uh, he's he's even more inflammatory and excitable than I am. His uh, his book Zombie Loyalists yes, is yes. is really great, and it's almost like it's almost like hug your haters, but the opposite. So so his approach is uh, take customers who like you and make them love you, mm-hmm. and and my approach is take people who hate you and make them like you. Right. So it's almost like the, the same themes, but but from the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, and it's uh, not like you should do one or the really other. Great. <laughs> no, of course not. It's just yeah. it's a different strategy. So yeah. his book is, is really terrific uh, and oh, and very worthwhile for people interested uh, in these themes. On a slightly different bent, I'm a huge proponent of my friend Rory Vaden's book, Procrastinate on Purpose, mm. which has taught me more about sort of quote-unquote work-life balance and delegation and organization and time management than anything I've ever read. It's spectacular. And I will say, maybe this is on your docket, but I just yesterday – uh, had on my podcast, Social Pros, Dave Kirpin, whose new book, The Art of People, is really great. It mm, is it is yeah. the it is the new version of how to win friends and influence people, uh, written for the modern age. And so it's not really a business book per se, but I really took a lot out of it. It's it's an it's an excellent excellent book. Yeah, I'm not. We're probably not going to have him on the show for that. I I was able to get Dave on for the, his social media, his revised social media book. Yeah, likable social media. Yeah, I likable social media, fantastic book. But my sense is that this book is going because of its broad and sort of universal message is going to be the best uh, selling book he's ever done. 
Oh, sure. I, I, I think it would be a shock if this book doesn't doesn't sell a ton because he's trying to reach he's trying to reach everybody. Yeah, uh, I am. I'm to a degree too. I mean, this book, Hug Your Haters, is is much broader, has a much bigger audience than Utility did because lots of people, of course, are interested in content marketing, which is what Utility is you know mostly about. But not everybody. But everybody has customers, and I very intentionally selected the the case studies in this book and the interviews to represent all points of the spectrum. So there's B2B, there's B2C. There's big company, there's small company. There's US companies, there's global companies. And so I very carefully wrote this book so that it doesn't matter what kind of business you are, where you are, there will be lessons in there that you're like, yeah, I get that. That applies to me. Mm-hmm. And and I hope that that uh, increases the applicable, addressable market uh, for Hug Your Haters. That was my sense, is that some people or companies are thinking, well, you know, we don't need to do so much marketing, but we do need to take care of our customers. <laughs> so, so I was thinking yeah. the, the just the sheer volume yeah. is going to be higher and, on and this book. Look, and, and we've talked about this. I mean, customer service is the new marketing. Yes. If I ask you right, if I ask you right now who's really good at customer service, everybody who's listening, just just take five seconds and think about when I ask you who's good at customer service, you can name somebody, right? You come up with two or three names instantly. It might be it might be Nordstrom, it might be Zappos, it might be JetBlue, it might be Southwest, doesn't matter. You can come up with them. Why? Because they're so rare. Mm-hmm. They are by definition. It's almost unbelievable. Yeah. They are they are remarkable in the true sense of that word, meaning it is worthy of remark. And my vision, my goal, my absolute hope is that this book sells well enough that 18, 24 months from now, when I ask you who's really good at customer service, you can't come up with a name because there's so many companies that are now good at it, they no longer stand out. That's my vision. Yes, yes. Are there any other recent or upcoming books you recommend or looking forward to reading? The recent or upcoming books. Uh, you know whose book I'm really enthusiastic about is uh, Nick Westergaard's uh, new book called Get Scrappy. Uh, oh, and yeah, Nick's he's going to be on the terrific, show. Oh, he's going to be on the show? That's yeah. great. He's a terrific marketing consultant. He runs the Social Brand Forum, which is a great conference. I'll be speaking there this year, actually, in uh, in Iowa in the fall. And, and his book is almost like a, a new version of guerrilla marketing. Uh, many people, I'm sure, are familiar with with that uh, that book, J. Conrad Levinson, and that series. And, and this is kind of that, but but for an even more modern audience. Lots of really smart, tactical ways to think about your brand, to think about your marketing. It's it's really good. Nick's a very smart guy, uh, and it's his first book, and I'm really proud of it. I'm looking forward to talking to him about that. Let me suggest one other that because I have the pleasure of reading lots of these marketing and sales books. There's another one that is a companion piece to yours, I think, and that's Daniel Lemon, who wrote Manipulated about online reviews. And he's been on the show. We're going to put a link to his show notes. Yeah, Daniel Daniel is the senior strategist at Convince and Convert. So he works with my team and I on an everyday basis. I have the great good fortune to work with him on a on a you know day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. And his book, Manipulated, is very much a companion to to Hug Your Haters. That was not accidental. Did, and did, let me interrupt and ask a question, Jay. Did he I apologize for interrupting. He did he use any of the research that Edison did in his book? The way the sequencing worked, his book was was already in production when so he, he was almost finished when I was writing mine. So there's oh, okay. a there's a there's a couple there's a couple of excerpts where I had the data back where I could feed him some data points. But but most of the, the research that I conducted is not in his book and vice versa. He's got his own research and so it's great. His book is 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 more specifically around uh, ratings and reviews uh, and and how that particular industry bedevils business, especially yeah. small business. What I love about his book, and it's so well done, is that it is the step-by-step playbook 
about exactly. So you get a negative review. What do you do? First thing you do this. Second thing you do this. Third thing you do this. Fourth thing you do this. I mean, it is it is like a worksheet. Um, yeah. So, and the first thing, so don't freak out. That was one of the out. big takeaways from the book. Don't freak out. And don't take it personally, which is hard to do when you're a small business owner. Because yeah. as a small business owner, somebody says, I didn't like it. You feel like somebody said your baby's ugly, right? It just, mm-hmm. it just, it's painful. And and I get that. So his book is terrific. And, and it really is a sort of a, a matched set. And, and we did that on purpose because as consultants, we're starting to do a lot more of that kind of work. And so it's nice for us each to have a book on a slightly different part of that market. So it's it's going great. Yeah, and I know when when his episode published, it broke the one day download record. So I heard that he told me that he he's got the he's got the all time record. So I mean, I've got well, it. I think it may it. have something to do with the broad appeal of that the yeah. the topic. So anyway, uh, Jay, how how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? So convinceandconvert.com is the best place to find more information. We have uh, five weekly podcasts, 12 blog posts a week, a daily email newsletter, all kinds of free stuff for marketers and business owners. Uh, The book is available all the ways and places that books are available, including an audible version read by me, or you can go to hugyourhaters.com and there's some special bonus offers and stuff like that there. So final quote from the end of the book, the three important things I learned while writing Hug Your Haters or what I hope you learned while reading it. One, Customer service is more complicated than ever, but the formula for success is knowable and achievable. Two, interacting with your customers, especially when they're upset, is 100% worth the effort. Three, you need to answer every complaint in every channel every time. The name of the book is Hug Your Haters, How to Embrace Complaints and Keep Your Customers. The author is Jay Bear. Jay, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. I loved it. I am going to write another book so I can get back on the show. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) And that closes the book on the 60th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for show notes, free resources, and marketing guides. And while there, be sure to join the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And if you love the show, please do a favor for me right now, unless you're driving or operating dangerous machinery. Open up a browser on your phone or computer and type in love.marketingbookpodcast.com. That's love.marketingbookpodcast.com. That will generate a pre-formatted tweet with a link to the show that you can share with your world on Twitter. And you'll get a personal thank you from me for spreading the love. And please join us next time as we talk with Chris Smith about his new book, The Conversion Code. Capture internet leads, create quality appointments, close more sales. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.